All right, Third John. Uh, we begin the third epistle of John this evening. We'll read verses 1 through 14. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not after that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and do ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. I mentioned uh, prior, even in our study of uh, Second Epistle of John, that Second uh, and Third John, of course, are considered to be twin epistles, but they both are very brief in their content, but yet they also should sound very familiar to you after having studied and spent the time we did in our study of the first epistle of John, because the truth that is in first, second, and third John is the same truth, though there may be different emphasis to a degree, yet as well, John, in some degree, to some degree, he also summarizes in the second and third epistle, who are written to different people, of course, the second and third epistle, he summarizes the truth in which he spoke of in much more detail and depth in the first epistle. We see John's writings to bear his signature in common language and content throughout his gospel as well as each of the three epistles. And of course, we also are aware of the book of Revelation, which was written or penned as well by John. And we find both similarities, similarities and contrasts in John's second and third epistle. For example, both are letters of instruction. The second warns against accepting false teachers, meaning the second epistle, while the third epistle warns against rejecting those who proclaim truth. Uh, Both deal with the attitude or spirit. The second deals with the danger of being too soft in regard to spiritual error. And while the third deals with supporting those who are faithful in truth, both give warnings, the second against the deceivers in the church and the third against the dictators in the church, such as Diotrephes. And so we find that very much of the language is the same. The intent and purpose carries the same, uh, carries throughout both epistles. In fact, all three of them. And there's more similarities and differences, and we're going to review some of them again. As I mentioned, this is very akin to Second John. So as we reviewed our, did an overview of Second John, so we'll do an overview of Third John as well. And some of this is going to go hand in hand with Second John, as because they are so much alike, and the contrasts that were drawn. When we went through Second John, also we'll go through some of those same contrasts and similarities in our overview of Third John. So over the past several weeks, uh, throughout our study of Second John, 
we've observed John's emphasis on the unity which exists between love and truth. And John again makes that connection in this third epistle. As I mentioned throughout our study of 2 John, these two epistles, 2nd and 3rd John, have been referred to, as I mentioned as well a moment ago, as these twin epistles. And what's more is that they reference, as I said, or summarize to a, 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 some degree some of the same truths which John wrote have been detailed within his first epistle. In the overview of our study of, of 2 John, as well as in our conclusion to the study of the epistle, we considered some of the similarities between these two epistles of John, meaning 2nd and 3rd John. And the introduction to both epistles are similar as are their conclusions as we saw previously. In our study of 2 John, we pointed out that both epistles emphasize love and truth and both also speak of the joy of knowing that fellow believers are living in truth. So we see that in 2 John verses 1 through 4, the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And then in 3 John verses 1 through 4, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. We also see the similarity in the manner in which John concludes both 2nd and 3rd John, as we saw through our study of 2nd John as well. 2nd John verses 12 and 13. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. 3rd John, verses 13 and 14. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. So it's wor- it is noteworthy that both of these epistles address the matter of truth and love, as I've already mentioned, and, or we could say love and truth. One must never, as I've said, forfeit one of these for the other. For love and truth are to be equally expressed, they are to be equally demonstrated, they are to be equally received. And to prefer one above the other or to reject one over the other is to misunderstand both. So when we speak of love and truth, we must understand that if we are to love someone, as John uh, helps us to understand, scriptures throughout tell us, that, that if we are truly to love someone, then we are going to speak truth to them. But while we are speaking truth to someone, we are to do so out of spirit and out of a heart of love for them. A love for the truth, first and foremost, a love for the Lord, a love for his truth, and then a love for others. And so we are to speak truth to those who we speak to, those we interact with, those we associate with, those we minister to. We see it, he says here that in... in uh, these verses that there's love and truth, truth and love. And he mentions that in 2 John quite a bit. And we're going to look at that a little bit as we move on, even in light of 3 John in this overview. Notice with me the author of 3 John. And he says in verse 1, the elder. And that's very similar, of course, when you go, are familiar, when you go back to chapter, or to, I'm sorry, 2nd epistle of John in verse 1, he says, the elder unto the elect lady. But then in 3 John, he says, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. And so we find he refers to himself as the elder. And this title has to do more so with John's position or John's office in the church than it does his age. Now, John, obviously, at this point in his life, is an older man. 
But he's not saying the elder in the sense of the old man. He's saying the elder in the sense of the office and position as one who is older, of course, but yet the office or position that he is carrying and shepherding others, if you will. Because remember, the elder is that of a shepherd. And so an elder is one who is shepherding. And shepherding has to do with teaching, caring for, so on and so forth. But John is referring to himself here as an elder, and he had been a faithful follower, obviously, of the Lord Jesus. He was the beloved disciple. His love and devotion to Christ had been proven throughout the years. John is the last of the apostles as well, and that's something to consider as well, even the title which he uses. All the others had either been martyred or have died, yet John continues to be a faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ in the face of much opposition and attack of the truth. Because remember, John is dealing with this fact of those who are claiming that Christ did not come in the flesh. And so there are those who are denying that Jesus came. And this is late first century. So the eyewitnesses of Christ by large have died. John is an eyewitness of Christ. Remember 1 John. And John speaks of that which we have seen, that which we have handled, that which we have heard, that which we've beheld, that which we have touched. Remember he says all of these things? He's saying the Lord Jesus Christ. We had personal interaction with him. He is one we testify of. But John is living in a time and day. This is late first century. And John is now being bombarded by those who were not eyewitnesses of Jesus who are immediately attempting to deny the truth that Christ ever came in the flesh. In other words, this is all just hearsay. Look how early this started. This is all just hearsay. This is all just rumor. But John's saying, no, I've seen, I've heard, I've handled of the very word of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John is, is the last of the apostles, the last of the followers of Christ. And here he is now being bombarded by all of those who are skeptics concerning that which they have been told and that which they have heard. And although the author of this epistle, which we obviously believe to be John, does not identify himself within this letter, as is also the case in his first and third epistle, named after John, the evidence overwhelmingly points to John the Beloved as the writer of the epistle. First, we see the name of this epistle, along with the previous and following epistles, serve as a, meaning John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the Gospel of John. Then you have, of course, the book of the Revelation. But we understand that, that this serves as a good indicator that John is the writer of this book. It is not exceptionally uncommon for a book to be named after its author, as you are aware, even if the author does not identify himself within the book he has written. Again, I would remind you, as a good example of that, would be the Pentateuch, right? You have the first five books of the Bible as they are canonically listed for us, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Who wrote those? Where does Moses ever say he wrote those? He doesn't title himself, he doesn't name himself as the writer of these, but we know that Moses has written them, right? That's what we understand to be true. And so we know then that, that every author or writer does not have to be named or introduce himself in order to be, it to be understood or received that he is the writer of this epistle. Second, the Gospel of John, whose authorship is attributed to John the Beloved, has many similarities to the first epistle of John and the second and third epistles of John. All of these bear an irrefutable resemblance to the first epistle and as well even to John's gospel. And what's more, neither the gospel of John nor the first, second, or third epistle of John names John as the writer. So none of them name John as the writer, yet they are so similar in their content and writing. Again, when you look at first John, for instance, compare that to John chapter one, the gospel, and look at the similarities. 
of what's being stated. Second, we consider the recipient to whom the epistle was written. While John first is referred to as first John is first is referred to as a general epistle, as I've mentioned previously, the second epistle of John is addressed to either a specific person or a specific church, which is debatable. The final epistle of John, third John, is clearly addressed primarily to an individual. Look at verse 1 again. Unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now that sounds familiar again, doesn't it? Go back to 2 John, just as a comparison. When you look at 2 John, the elder unto the like lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And that's what he says again here to Gaius. The name Gaius is used five times in the Scriptures. Acts chapter 19, verse 29, you find the mention of Gaius of Macedonia. In Acts 20, verse 4, you find Gaius of Derby. In Romans 16, 23, there's Gaius who hosted Paul. Then in 1 Corinthians 1, 14, you find Gaius who baptized the Corinthian believers. Then in 3 John, verse 1, Gaius to whom John addressed the third epistle. It's been stated that the name Gaius would have been as common as John Smith for us. So Gaius would have been a very common name to have been held or to have been ha- to have. And so this obviously is not the same Gaius mentioned in all five passages as they are identified from their different regions even. And we don't know for certain that any two of these passages speak of the same man. Is it possible that they could? Yes. Could this Gaius be Gaius of Derby? Well, yes. Could this Gaius be Gaius of Macedonia? I guess that's possible, right? We don't know that for certain, but there's no guarantee either. We don't know as to whether or not any of these passages speak of the same man. These could be five different men altogether. Or it could be that Gaius here in Third John could be mentioned as well somewhere else in Scripture, but there's just no uh, definitive case for that, that that is so. So regardless of whether this is the same Gaius as found in any of the previous passages of, of Scripture that which we've mentioned, or none of them, John calls Gaius one of his children in verse 4 of this epistle, which would signify that Gaius was led to Christ under the ministry of John, or that John had discipled Gaius since his conversion. Looking in at verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, though they are not the recipients of the letter, there are three main characters, if you will, which are referenced in this epistle. You find, first of all, Gaius, here in verse 1, right? The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Then he refers to, to, I have no greater joy in verse 4 than to hear that my children walk in the truth, which, of course, does not mean only Gaius necessarily, but all those who are faithfully following as well truth. And then if you look in verse 3, Nine, he says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, whom loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So Diotrephes is a named individual in this book, in this epistle. But then you also find in verse 12, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record that ye know that our record is true. So the three main characters throughout this epistle would be Gaius, first of all, to whom John writes, and then Diotrephes, to whom he warns concerning the fact that Diotrephes loved to have preeminence within the church. Again, that is a loaded statement, isn't it? Diotrephes wanted the preeminence. He wanted to be seen. He wanted to be heard. So much so that he was forbidding for John and others to come in because I guess he felt intimidated, maybe, or he felt as though that they were going to take away some of his 
some of his glory that he held among the people or what have you. But here, of course, John is warning against him for that reason. But then you have Diotrephes, who he says in verse 12... I'm sorry, Demetrius. Demetrius, in verse 12, hath good report of all men and of the truth itself, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. So here you have a man who is faithful. That is mentioned as well, along with Gaius. So it's important to recognize these who are mentioned in such a brief epistle and mentioned by name and their significance and reason for that. And by the way, notice, if you will, the reason they are mentioned. Gaius is well-beloved in the truth. In verse 9, Diotrephes is mentioned because instead of loving truth, what does he love? He loves to have the preeminence. He loves himself, right? And then you have Demetrius in verse 12. He hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. So you have Gaius, well-beloved in the truth. Diotrephes, who is not as interested in the truth as much as he is himself. And then you have Demetrius, of course, who has good report of the truth itself and of, of John himself saying that he is faithful servant. Third, the date or the time of this epistle was written. As is the case with John's first and second epistles, we do not have an exact date for his third epistle either. However, it is believed that all three of the epistles of John were written near the end of the first century, which would imply that they were all written around the same period of time, closely related in time. Now, I have previously mentioned the content of these three epistles are similar in which the second and third epistles echo in brevity much of the teaching of John within the first epistle, in which John wrote in a much more detailed manner. But just as they are similar, they also hold differences within them. And we've contrasted some of that already. Let's look at the key words in this epistle. Now, this is a little different than in the previous epistle. In, the, in this epistle we find love is only mentioned one time, and that's in verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. The word rejoiced is one time in verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. The word joy is found one time in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children... Walk in truth. And notice the connection between verses 3 and 4. I rejoiced. What is that saying? There was great joy in him over the fact that Gaius was walking in the truth. But then you come to verse 4, and I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So joy and rejoicing could be similar. They're similarly linked, of course. And we find that they're used one time each here in relation to the same thing. But then the word truth is found six times. In verse uh, 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. In verse 3, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. So twice in verse 3. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Verse 8, We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. And then verse 12, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and also will bear record and ye know that our record is true. So here he's saying our record is true concerning Demetrius being faithful in the truth. So the word truth is found sometimes. Now that's, that's really significant, obviously, but it is somewhat different than what we find in the second epistle of John 
And, and, and it's interesting because when you come to the overall theme of this epistle, I want to compare now some of these, some of these, uh, some of these key words. Look at verse 8 with me. And I believe here is where you find the overall theme to this epistle of which John is writing to Gaius. We therefore ought to receive such. Who is he talking about when he says ought to receive such? Look at verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sword, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such as those both strangers and brothers who are faithful to Christ in taking the gospel and furthering the gospel, the truth. And then he says that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So this verse is key in the overall message John conveys in this third epistle. Now in 2 John, I want to point this out, the comparisons here. Two of the key words in 2 John are love and truth. In fact, we find truth is mentioned five times in 2 John, and love is mentioned four times in 2 John, verses 1 and 4, uh, 1 through 4 in, in, in truth and the word love four times, verses 1, 3, 5, and 6 of 2 John. However, as I mentioned just a moment ago, in 3 John, the word love, although significant in relation to the teaching of both 2 and 3 John, it is only used once in this third epistle. Yet, the word truth is mentioned six times in this third epistle. So John obviously is emphasizing the relation between love and truth in 2 John, and we've seen that, how that they are inseparably to be linked together. Here in 3 John, he says, I love Gaius in the truth, but that's the only mention of love he has whatsoever. Now he's focusing on truth, and what specifically? Notice back, let's go back one more time. I should have mentioned this word, and this is a key word as well, that I kind of should have, have mentioned these two as they are together. If you look when he says in uh, verse 6, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sword. Bring forward. Do you know what he's saying there? That you further their journey, that you are assisting them, supporting them in their journey. But then look at verse uh, 8. He says that we are to do such, that, that we are to, uh, ought to receive such of those, that we might be fellow helpers. So here, forward and fellow helpers is really carrying the same connotation of the furthering of the truth and really assisting those who are in the truth, who are declaring the truth, who are proclaiming the truth, that we are being a help to them in their journey. Those who follow after Christ, then it is a godly thing for us to assist them in the journey and on the way. So John is emphasizing in this third epistle the importance of truth and the furtherance of truth as he indicated in verse 8 when he says, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I find this very interesting. And again, it's funny how 2 John and Philippians, as we concluded, had many similarities and ties in, the, in what we were dealing with in the introduction of Philippians. And as well, when you consider where we are right now in Philippians on Sunday mornings, and now we enter into 3 John, which is a twin epistle to 2 John. But yet, as we look at it, we see again that he's talking about now bringing forward those who are committed to Christ in the truth, and then saying that we are to receive such and assist them that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. 
And notice the significance here. He's not saying help the people because you like the people. It's furthering the truth that they carry. Furthering the truth to that which they are faithful. Because he's already qualified them as being faithful. Go back again and look in verse 7. Because that for his name's sake, Christ, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So he's saying we are to further the truth. We are to receive such and assist those who are committed to the truth. And then he says, verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence, among them receiveth us not. And it says in verse 10, Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. So he's saying, if, if anyone receives these brethren that are faithful to the truth, here Diotrephes is saying, nope, won't happen here. And it's why. The reason's Given because he loved the preeminence. And so here's what you find. You find a man who loved himself more than he loved the truth. And then you find those who loved the truth more than they loved themselves, even to the point that they took nothing of the Gentiles to assist them for the cause and sake of Christ and his truth. Lest they be tagged or said that they, of course, manipulated people for financial gain or for prosperity. And so here John is dealing with this. And mentioning to Gaius concerning these matters and encouraging Gaius, obviously, to continue in the work which he had begun. So John rejoiced in Gaius and all of those who walked in the truth of Christ. However, within this epistle, John gives special attention and care to not only encourage Gaius to walk in the truth. Now, this is very important. He not only encourages Gaius to walk in the truth, but to also be a fellow helper to the truth as he would support those who walk in truth and teach truth to others. So the commission here is, first of all, Gaius, you are walking in truth. I commend you. We are grateful to hear of the testimony. We're grateful to hear the testimony of Demetrius who walks in truth. We are grateful to hear the testimony of all our children, all those who've come to faith through our ministry or all of those to whom, of whom we have discipled to know that they walk in truth. There is no greater joy. Twice he has basically stated that in Second and Third John. But then it doesn't end there. In 2 John, he warns that the elect lady and her children, he says, listen, there are deceivers who are coming in who want to persuade you other than that which you have known of the truth. Do not take them in. Do not give heed to their teaching. Understand it is error, it is heretical, it is heresy. Do not let them persuade you. Stand in the truth. Do not entertain them. Do not bless them. Do not encourage them on their way. He's not saying be nasty to them, but stand on truth and do not be persuaded by this error. But here, he's not warning against those who would try to persuade from the truth. But he's telling Gaius, Gaius, it is wonderful you are walking in truth and there's great joy in my heart and life because my children walk in truth. There's no greater joy than to know this. He said, however, understand something. It's not only important that you walk in truth, but it's important that you become a part in assisting others who are walking in truth. That you are a fellow helper to the truth. That you are proclaiming truth, but also that you are assisting the 
brethren who are in the truth themselves. And that you have intentional part and effort in this. Love and truth cannot be separated. We've seen that in 2 John. For if we genuinely love one another, we will desire that the individual also walk in truth. So if we love someone, we desire that they walk in truth. And we will teach them and encourage them. And encourage others also that teach others to walk in truth or teach them truth. So here we find, in relation to Philippians, the fellowship of the gospel. Here in 3 John. A fellow laborer, one who forwards the journey of those who walk in truth and proclaim truth. This is the practical example of what Paul is teaching in Philippians, what we've been looking at, the fellowship which produces furtherance of the gospel. Notice what John is saying here in 3 John. Gaius, you're in the fellowship of the gospel. You're walking in truth, and I rejoice that you are. We have fellowship because of the truth in which you walk, and which I walk. But then he moves on to the furtherance of the gospel. Hey, Gaius, it's great that you're in truth, but this fellowship of the truth, you know what it does? It also furthers the work of the gospel. We further the truth, the proclamation of the truth, and we encourage others in the truth. And so John here is emphasizing throughout this text, I believe verse 8 to be key in the emphasis of the entire text and, and epistle, and that is that we therefore ought to receive such, those who are faithful in the truth, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. How does Third John fit into the big picture of Scripture? God's glory revealed through redemption in Jesus Christ. We are to be fellow helpers in propagating this truth. Here it is, Christ and His truth, the glory of God being revealed through this redemption in Jesus Christ. Let us further the gospel as we fellowship in the gospel. So Gaius is being talked to of John, written to of John, and saying, it's great you're walking in truth, John, or Gaius. That's wonderful. He says, and we've heard testimony how you've received them, and we should receive such to become fellow helpers to the truth. And again, this is so important. It's not about the person. It's about the truth in which they stand. Our fellowship should never be focused and centered on us getting along with one another because we like each other. Our fellowship should be focused and centered on the fact that we are partakers of the same gospel, the same grace, the same Christ. And therefore we are to further the work of the gospel, further the truth. And we are to be intent in this. And that's what John is saying to Gaius. And then he gives, of course, the contrast of Diotrephes, who is opposed to this. Gaius, you are furthering the truth. And here's Diotrephes, who says, hey, look at me. <laughs> don't, don't, don't look anywhere else. Look at me. Follow me. And when someone else would come with the truth, that's a danger. Not heresy. Isn't this ironic? It's not heresy that's the problem. It's truth that's the problem for diatrophies. But, you know, that's really not so foreign or odd in many of our churches today either. While there are those who are very conscious to guard against heresy as it should be, 
there are others who are afraid to death to let someone speak truth that they can defend through Scripture because it may jeopardize their authority or their position within the church. I am very protective of the pulpit to which God has given me stewardship. And I don't mean this. I'm talking about the platform. And I don't mean this. (laughs) I'm talking about the responsibility to proclaim the Word of God. And I am very protective. You know that. I think I should be. I think all pastors should be. That does not mean we won't let someone else come in and teach or preach. But I'll tell you another thing. I love to teach and preach because God's put that in me and I'm passionate so I enjoy and I'm thankful for the opportunity. But I'm not afraid of anyone coming in and speaking truth to you. But I am very guarded against those who would come in and not speak truth to you. But I am for truth. And Gaius was for truth. And Demetrius was for truth. And John was for truth. And Diotrephes was for himself. And for that reason, he says, nope. And even those who embraced others, by the way, I have. Even those who embraced others, who were in the truth, the scripture says, John is telling them that Diotrephes, he kicked them out of the church because now they became a threat. That's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? When you have an apostle who's testifying that these people are of truth and Diotrephes is saying, nope, I won't even let the apostle come in here and teach because that's a threat to me. It's a threat. How dangerous it is.